Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. Um, I thank you for all the blessings that you give to us. Lord, I pray this morning as we dig into your word, Lord, that you will make your will clear to us, that you will give us your wisdom. God, I pray that you will uh, help us to see you in these scriptures and to learn more about you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we are going through um, uh, kind of the, almost the middle part of Genesis, not quite to the middle. Um, we're working through a study into Isaac, uh, and Isaac is the son of a promise. Uh, so the background behind this, uh, it, all, it goes all the way back to Genesis 12 and the Abrahamic covenant, when uh, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse anyone who uh, treats you with contempt. And all the people of earth will be blessed through you. So Isaac was the answer to that promise to Abraham. Um, God tested Abraham and told him to go through or to go and to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham responded with obedience. And at the last moment, God intervened to provide a substitution for that sacrifice. Now, that was last week's message. Um, and then in chapter 23, which we're going to kind of skip over 23 um, because... Isaac isn't really in chapter 23 a whole lot, but there's an important event there in 23 that impacts Isaac a lot. In chapter 23, we're told that Abraham's wife, who's Isaac's mother, she dies. Uh, hopefully not from a heart attack after she heard that Abraham tried to sacrifice him. Um, but it takes Isaac some time to mourn his mother. And that's where we pick up this passage in uh, chapter 24. And it's a big passage. It's gonna, we're going to go all the way from verse 1 to verse 67, and, and thankfully I'm not going to read all that this morning, but it is a large chunk in that. Um, and this is where we, um, Abraham sends somebody to find a wife for Isaac, and we, we get to meet Isaac's wife for the first time. But what the main idea here behind this passage, and what we see in all of the different characters in this passage, is that faith leads to action. So there's so many different characters in this story. Now, I say characters and story. Like, this isn't a fictional story. This is, a, this is historical narrative. It is historical truth. But the different people in this story, they act because of their faith. And so we see, that, uh, different, we see those different acts of faith uh, playing out. And it all leads to Isaac's blessing. But when we zoom out and take a big picture look at it, we get to see a picture of the gospel in this story. Uh, so I'll go ahead and get started now real quick. We have a, like I said, we have a large chunk of text this morning, so I'm not going to be able to sit and, and, and spend a whole lot of time on any one part. So we'll go through, I'll give a few notes along the way, we'll pause a couple times to, to talk about a couple different uh, verses, uh, but then at the end we'll zoom back out to get that big picture. Uh, so Genesis 24, picking up in verse 1, it says, Abraham was now old, getting on in years. Well, now, I thought when God called him out of the land of his family that he was already old. It says that he was, you know, 75 years old, and it would be another 25 years before Isaac was born. And, and now they're saying he's old. Okay. Um, it says, Abraham was now old, getting on in years, and the Lord had blessed him in everything. Abraham said to his servant, the elder of his household, who managed all he owned, Place your hand under my thigh, and I will have you swear by God. I uh, swear by the Lord, God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but will go to my land and my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. 
So real quick, let's talk about Isaac or Abraham's servant here. His servant is probably uh, we're not told in this passage, but it, it was probably Eliezer. And we're told uh, we're not like I said we're not told that for sure, but scholars tend to agree on that. Uh, when we were first introduced to Eliezer in chapter 15, uh, this was before Isaac was born, and even before Ishmael was born. And God is reminding Abraham of the covenant, the promise that He made with him. Uh, in Genesis 15:2, well, in Genesis 15, God is uh, reiterating this covenant, saying that he will make Abraham into a great nation. But Abraham says, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. So if Eliezer is uh, the slave who's going to be the heir, this means that he is kind of the, the chief servant in Abraham's household. He's, he's the, the, the elder servant, if you may. And so when it's, uh, in this passage, when he says uh, in verse 2, Abraham said to his servant, the elder of his household, who managed all, his, all he owned, this is more than likely referring to Eliezer. And so throughout the rest of the passage, I'm going to refer to him as Eliezer. But this shows uh, that Eliezer would have been heir to Abraham's estate if he had no children. However, Eliezer does not respond with selfish jealousy. He is perfectly fine allowing Isaac to be the heir, and he is perfectly fine serving Isaac. But Abraham tells Eliezer to swear by God that he will not take a wife for Isaac from the Canaanites. Well, why is that? Is Abraham, is he guilty of racism? No, that's not what this is. Abraham is there living among the Canaanites, and he can see their pagan religion, and he can see how their paganism affects their family life. And Abraham wants his servant to go to his father's family. Now, for us, that sounds crazy. Like, go find my son's cousin so he can marry her. For us, it's like, ew. But, you know, back in that time, it was like, hey, there's my cousin. But now it sounds kind of gross for us. But Abraham knew that his family worshipped Yahweh. And he wanted to make sure that his son married somebody of the same faith, not a pagan girl. Now, Abraham realized the importance of his son marrying someone who worshipped the same God that they did. This was, an, this was such an important aspect in, of Abraham's faith that he wanted to make sure that his son followed through with that. So we're going to pick up and keep reading in verse 5. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is unwilling to follow me to this land. Should I have your son go back to the land you came from? Abraham answered him, Make sure that you don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, spoke to me, or who spoke to me and swore to me, I will give you this land for your offspring. He will send his angel before you, and you can take a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to follow you, then you are free from this oath to me, but don't let my son go back there. So the servant placed his hand under his master's thigh and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. The servant took ten of his master's camels, and with all kinds of his master's goods in hand, he went to uh, Aram Naharam to Nahor's town. At evening, the time the women went out to draw water, he, came, he made the camels kneel beside a well outside the town. Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, make this happen for me today and show kindness to my master Abraham. I am standing here at the spring where the daughters of the men of the town are coming to draw out water. <clears throat> Let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jug so that I may drink. And who responds, drink, and I'll water your camels also. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will make known that you, or by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So Eliezer says, make this happen for me today. 
He is asking God to make it clear to him who he should bring back for Isaac to marry. Is this how I would have done it? No, absolutely not. If I was, if I was given this task that Eliezer was given to go back to find Abraham's family and to find one of the daughters of that family and bring, him back, bring her back for Isaac, I wouldn't have gone to the well where any woman might have walked up. I would have gone knocking on doors and say, hey, are you, are you uh, Abraham's family? Are, are you related to Abraham and going around finding, to try to find his family? But that's not what Eliezer does. Or maybe, maybe go to the town center and ask for Nahor's family and then go and explain who you are and what your mission is. Instead, he goes to the well in the evening, typically when women would be coming to the, to the well to draw water. Now, it's interesting what he says and what he's asking God for here. He says, God, I'm going to ask a woman who comes, and I'm going to ask her to give me a drink of water. It's hot. I've been traveling. I'm going to ask for a drink of water. That doesn't sound unreasonable. But then he says, the lady who says to me, yes, I'll give you some water, but I'm also going to water your camels. He says, that'll be the sign to let me know that this is the woman that you have chosen for Isaac. Now, this offer shows us two things. Well, first, we have to realize, earlier in this passage, it said that Eliezer loaded up 10 camels to go on this journey. And a single camel can drink up to 53 gallons of water in just three minutes. That's a lot of water in a little bit of time. So for a woman to say, yes, I'll water your camels also, and there's 10 of them, that could be up to 530 gallons of water that she's pulling up from the well. So this shows us two things. First, such a large task would, be, would, would make it obvious that this is, the, uh, this is God's choice, because it wouldn't be just some random woman who'd say, yeah, I'll pull up 530 gallons of water for you and your camels. But second, it also shows that for someone to be willing to do this, it would mean that they have the heart of a servant and the heart of a caretaker, somebody who's willing to care for the family as they grow up, somebody who would make a good wife and a good mother, who's going to be the mother or a, uh, one of the, the, the mother figures in the nation of Israel. Now, it is Mother's Day, and so what we see here, and as we continue through looking at Rebecca, we haven't learned her name yet, but as we continue to look at Rebecca, there's a couple things that uh, this mother, she's, again, not a mother yet, but she's going to be a mother. A couple things we can learn from her, not just the mothers in the room, but all of us. First, is that she is willing and she is obedient to follow God's leadership. That's the most important thing for any of us, is to be willing and obedient to follow God's leadership. And then the second part, second takeaway for us from her in this story, is to be a servant, to serve others. And we look at what Jesus' life was, and he came to be a servant. Rebecca serves Eliezer here, and Rebecca serves Isaac and her son Jacob later in later chapters. We see Rebecca showing the model of a servant, and it's a model for us all to follow as well. Now, like I said, I'm not going to read the whole chapter this morning. I'm actually going to skip a large chunk here, and we're going to skip verses 15 through 48. All right, so let me summarize that for you right here. Verses 15 to 48, Rebecca comes, and she does exactly what Eliezer prays for. He asks her what family she belongs to, and she says that she's from Nahor's family, and Nahor is Abraham's brother. So the servant girl, or sorry, the servant, Eliezer, gives her gifts and then he worships God. And while he's worshiping God, she runs back to her mother's house and explains everything that happened. Well, when she's there, her brother gets up and says, I want to go meet this guy. And so he gets up and he runs out to the well to meet Eliezer. And he, when he meets Eliezer, he says, oh, well, you know, we're so glad you came. We've gone through and we've cleaned up the house really well. And we've, we've done all these preparations to get ready for you to come. Please come and, and spend a few days with us. 
Now that's kind of a social faux pas right there. Um, I don't I don't know how many of you are really um, um, uh, I, uh, very good hosts, but a lot of times when you're hosting somebody, you want to make sure the house is really clean and everything looks really good. But when they walk in the door and they say, "Oh, your house looks so clean. It's so nice." Oh no, this is terrible. I, you know, I, I'm so surprised you were coming. The house. Oh, I'm sorry. The house is so bad. When you worked really hard all morning or all week to make sure it was really clean. Now the brother doesn't do that. He says, "We've done. We've gone through. We've cleaned up. We've made everything so great for you. Please come and spend a little bit of time with us." Now and, and they they give him dinner. And so at dinner, Eliezer explains that he was sent there for a specific purpose. He was sent there to find a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. Then he goes back and recounts everything that had happened so far. So uh, verses, I think it's 32 to 48, is basically just a repetition of the first part of the chapter. All right. So he goes back and he's recounting everything that happens. And he leads it all up to the big question, which we'll pick up in verse 49. Uh, verse 49, he says, Now, if you are going to show kindness and faithfulness to my master, that's Abraham, so for them to show kindness and faithfulness, that would be for them to give their daughter Rebekah to be Isaac's wife. So if you're going to show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me, and I'll go elsewhere. Laban, who is Rebekah's brother, and Bethuel, who is Rebekah's father, Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We have no choice in the matter. Rebekah is here in front of you. Take her and go, and let her be a wife for your master's son, just as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then he, th uh, then he brought out objects of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious gifts to her brother and her mother. So Laban and Bethuel's response, they say, this is from the Lord. We have no choice in the matter. See here, these two men show their faith in God. But what's odd here. And we, we don't quite get the full picture since we skipped some of those passages, some of those, um, those verses in there, but it shows up a little bit and it'll show up a little bit more later. But what, what's odd here is the role that Laban takes. Rebecca's brother takes more of a leadership role here as opposed to Rebecca's father. See, the father, Bethuel, he, he's more passive in this passage. And he's more passive, actually, as you read through, he's, he's not a very active character. Laban takes more of the family leadership, all right? So the father, he's there, but Laban is the one who ran out to meet Eliezer and who will show more of a leadership role later. Laban really seems to have more of a guardianship role over his sister than the father does. But still, Laban says, this matter is of the Lord. I have no choice in the matter. God has said, this is the way it is, so we're going to be faithful and obedient to what God has said. We're not going to go against God's will. We're not going to go against God's word. God has made this clear this is what we're supposed to do, and so this is what we're going to do. We'll keep reading. Verse 54, Then he and the men with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they got up in the morning, he said, Send me to my master. But the brother and mother, again, the father's not really showing much leadership here. The brother and the mother said, Let the girl stay with us for about ten days. Then she can go. But he responded to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has made my journey a success. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, Let the girl, uh, let's call the girl and ask her opinion. So now, even though this is an arranged marriage, and a lot of um, modern feminists will, will tell you that in the Old Testament, you had all these horrible uh, uh, patriarchal societies that were, were unfair to women. Even though this was an arranged marriage, the female still had a say-so. She still gave her consent in this. So they called Rebecca, uh, verse 58, they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? 
She replied, I will go. So they sent, uh, they sent away, so they sent away their sister, Rebekah, with the one who had nursed and raised her, and Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebekah, saying to her, Our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. May your blessing, or may your offspring, possess the city gates of their enemies. So Rebekah says, I will go. Rebekah responds to Eliezer's request and willingly goes with him. This would require great faith in God on Rebekah's part to follow this man, follow this man who she just met to go meet or to go marry a man who she hasn't even met yet. That's a lot of faith that she has. Just as Abraham was willing to leave his family and go and follow God's call, Rebekah is also willing to leave her family to follow God's call. And this, this blessing that they give to her, hopefully this sounds a little bit familiar. It says they blessed Rebekah, saying to her, Our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. Now in the, Abrahamic in the Abrahamic covenant, God tells Abraham that he will become the father of many nations. So here are thousands upon ten thousands. Then they bless her and they say, May your offspring possess the city gates of their enemies. Now this is almost word for word from what we heard in last Sunday's sermon. In Genesis 22, 17, God says, I will bless you, now this is Isaac, I will bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. Word for word, right there. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. See, there's the promise of abundant offspring and victory over their enemies. This shows that God has purposefully tied together the stories of Isaac and Rebekah. He purposefully brings their futures together to fulfill his will. I'll keep reading. Verse 61. Then Rebekah and her female servants got up, mounted the camels, and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac was returning from, mm -hmm, for he was living in the Negev region. In the early evening, Isaac went out to walk in the field, and looking up, he saw camels coming. Rebekah looked up, and when she saw Isaac, she got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? The servant answered, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done, and Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah and took Rebekah to be his wife. Isaac loved her, and he was comforted after his mother's death. This says that she took the veil and covered herself. As we read through the Old Testament, we see that it was not common for Israelite women to veil themselves. And so we look at this and it says she took the veil and covered herself. What is this? Well, and when you look, dig down a little deeper into it, we see that this is a part of their marriage ritual, part of the marriage ceremony for the Israelite woman to veil herself before her groom. Um, and so she's presenting herself as a bride for Isaac. All of these people, Abraham, Eliezer, Laban, Bethuel, and Rebekah, all of these people acted in faith. All of these people acted in faith. And then Isaac, when his bride comes, this girl he's never met before, again, we see he's walking out in the field, spending time alone with God. And when, the, when she comes, he has faith in God, and he takes her as his wife. All of these people acting in faith, letting their faith drive their actions. And it leads to a huge blessing for Isaac. And not just a blessing for Isaac, but a blessing for all the Israelites. Because through Isaac and Rebekah, we get Jacob. And Jacob is renamed Israel. And from Israel, we get the 12 Israelite tribes. And through Israel, we get Jesus. So Rebekah not only becomes a blessing for Isaac, not only a blessing for Abraham, but a blessing for all of us, for all of us. Because 
through her, our Savior comes. So I realize that this has been a long passage this morning, so let me tie it all together for you. This passage is all about letting your faith in God drive your actions. Back in the late 90s or early 2000s, there was a song that said, faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. It's pointless. That screen door on the submarine is not going to keep any of the water out. So faith without works is pointless. All right? Claiming that you have faith but not showing it with your actions is pointless. Real faith will guide your actions. And so we see that in this passage in a few different ways. First is that trusting God to be faithful to his word. Abraham believed God would provide a wife for Isaac. Abraham was confident that God would direct the journey of the servant the servant sought the Lord's direction. Now, earlier when we read uh, Eliezer's prayer, he says, Lord, make, me, make this journey of mine successful. He is the first recorded uh, person in the Old Testament to pray that God will bless their, their, their endeavor, that God will make their endeavor a success. The servant believed God would provide a specific response to his request. Rebecca was the constant reminder of God's answered prayer. So the second aspect of, of trust here is that trusting God to provide for your journey. A faithful servant who had earned his master's trust served his master faithfully, trusted God to provide, thanked the Lord for his provision, and stayed faithful until the task was pleaded, uh, completed. Right? This is the picture of the kind of servants that we should be. Trustworthy, praying, obedient, grateful, and committed. And finally, we see trusting God in our marriage. Abraham, the servant, and Isaac are all pictured as trusting God to provide for their family. We need families who trust in God to provide. Now finally, there's some allusion here to the gospel and some allusion to the Trinity. All right, so try to think of Abraham as God the Father. Think of Isaac as God the Son. Think of Eliezer as God the Holy Spirit. And then each and every one of us are Rebecca. Now remember, the gospel is about relationship. Now, Abraham recognized the importance of the relationship for Isaac and set out his servant to find a wife for him. Eliezer went and found the wife and brought Rebekah to Isaac. Isaac accepted her and brought her into his love. Similarly, God the Father sends the Holy Spirit out to get us, to bring us into relationship with his son, to reconcile the relationship that we broke with our father. For many men, this imagery is hard for us to, to accept, being the bride of Christ. It's hard for us to, to accept that. But when we realize how Jesus served us, we realize how he served us and gave his life for us. Yes, being, being, imagining myself as the bride is really hard, but <laughs> you don't want to see me in a wedding dress, prom, I promise you. Right? It's a really hard imagery for us to accept, but it is a beautiful picture of Jesus' love for us. So we get into our application points here. For, uh, again, it's knowing, being, and doing. So knowing, know that God is faithful to his word. Now, you can know that God is faithful to his word, but without knowing God's word, it's pretty pointless to know that he's faithful to it. So I remember um, before I, I convinced Jameson to try wasabi, right? I was trying to get him to, to taste it, and, and, and he wasn't willing to. And I, I told him, I said, well, it's kind of like horseradish, but it tastes a little greener. And he looked at me like he had no idea what I was talking about because he had no idea what I was talking about, right? He doesn't know what horseradish tastes like because he's never tried horseradish. 
And when I explain it as tasting a little greener, he, his, his palate hasn't developed that, that, to that point yet where he understands what something tasting green means. So when I was trying to get him to, to taste the wasabi, well, it tastes like horseradish, just a little greener and a little spicier. He was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so we can say that God is faithful to his word. We can know that God is faithful to his word. But if we don't know what his word is, it's pointless to us. Okay? So unless we know what God's word says, knowing that God is faithful to his word doesn't have a whole lot of meaning. So then the second point, the second application point is to be obedient to God's word and call. Abraham was obedient to God's promise, and thus he sent Eliezer to find a wife for Isaac. Eliezer was obedient to Abraham's command and went to find a wife for Abraham's extended family, or from Abraham's extended family. Rebekah was obedient to God's call to go with Eliezer to marry his master. And we need to be obedient to God's word and call. Again, we must know God's word in order to be obedient to it. And we must seek his will in prayer so that we can know what we are to do. <clears throat> and our final application point, the doing, is to study God's word and to seek his will. We study God's word. Be in the Bible. Right now, as a church, as a church body, we're focusing on two areas of Bible study. We're focusing on the Sunday morning text. And so that's the sermon. And then on Wednesday nights, we're digging deeper into that text again. And then at the beginning of the year, we had a big push to try to get everybody on a reading plan, everybody in the Word daily. So being in the Word daily is one of the most important aspects of your personal spiritual health. Being in the Word daily, each and every one of us being in the Word daily, is one of the most important aspects of our spiritual health as a corporate body of Jesus. So be in the Word daily, but be in corporate Bible study as well. And then to seek God's will in your life through prayer. So Bible study and prayer. Along with Bible reading, prayer is one of the most important aspects of your spiritual health. After we finish I Will in Sunday School, our next focus is going to be on prayer. Please join us in this study. And the Sunday School is each week at 9.15. Well, not this morning because we were cooking breakfast, but most mornings at 9.15 we have Sunday School. So know that God is faithful to His Word. Be obedient to His Word. And study God's Word and seek His will. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the truth that is in your word. God, I thank you for this picture of faith that we get. God, I just pray that you will give us the courage and the faith, strengthen our faith, so that we can respond in the same way as these people did in this story. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit victorybaptisthopemills.com or facebook.com slash vbchopemills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.